Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. It is not unusual to see an ambulance traveling the roads across Northumberland County. Paramedics attend about 23,000 calls a year. But have you ever wondered about the person inside? What has happened or how serious is it? Will they survive? On today's show, you will hear some answers to those questions. Last week, first responders and the people they saved came together for a special evening called Survivor Night. 51 people, including paramedics, dispatchers, firefighters, along with the people they saved and their families, met to recognize the life-saving work that took place. You will hear from Matthew Rollwagon, one of the paramedics. He will share a story about one cardiac patient whose life was saved. And he will tell us what it is like to meet him once again now that he has recovered. I'm so pleased to have with me today Northumberland Paramedics Chief Susan Brown and Northumberland County Paramedic Matthew Rollwagon. Welcome both to Consider This. Good morning. Thanks for having us, Robert. Susan, I'd like to start with you. What is the Survivor Night Ceremony? Yeah, so Survivor Night is a real special event that we we host annually. Um, and it's the opportunity for us to recognize emergency service personnel. Um, and it includes uh, the communications officer, so the 911 communication dispatcher, paramedics, firefighter, and anyone else who was be involved in a out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. Um, and that we've had a, a successful resuscitation of that individual. Um, what, it, what it is, is it's a, a wonderful evening that allows all the first responders that I mentioned, um, the survivor and their family to come together and, and to really celebrate um, you know, the successful resuscitation. It also gives us an opportunity finally, to, or an opportunity to, for us to uh, pay tribute to the first responders um, that make a difference in our community. Um, you know, a lot of times they're in that high pressure situation, you know, maintaining and keeping that cool head. And it just, we don't get the opportunity to pause very frequently and just reflect on the, the long-term impacts of these moments. So it's a wonderful, special evening uh, hosted annually. Now, how long has this been taking place, Susan? Yes, we actually just had our seventh annual. So in the last seven years here, um, it's something that uh, that was started by the past paramedic chief, uh, William Detler, and that we knew and wanted to keep going on. It was an important event. Um, so uh, yeah, seven years now. Why is it important, Susan, that we reconnect survivors with paramedics? Yeah, so, you know, a lot of times, like I say, it's in a very stressful situation. Um, and it gives some closure, I think, for both the paramedics um, and other first responders and the survivor and the family. Uh, we know that at that time, that impact, it was a very stressful situation. And it gives us a time to, you know, reconnect closure. Um, there's lots of thank yous, lots of hugs and tears. Um, and it just really gives us an opportunity 
um, you know, to have that closure and and to to celebrate uh, that instance. And I think also, uh, you know, from a community perspective, I think it's, you know, one of education. It shows you the chain of survival. It shows you how important it is for community out there to be trained in CPR, to have those AEDs out in the community, you know, to activate and call 911 early. And all of us together is what will, you know, have these successful stories. And it, it's just such a wonderful event. Before we get into the actual event and, and some of the details, uh, Susan, I, I'd just like you to explain maybe the services that are provided by paramedics in Northumberland, just so that we get the big picture. Because oftentimes all we see as, as regular people is is the ambulance whipping down the road or a fire truck going out. What What is it exactly that the, the paramedics do? Yeah. So the paramedics um, provide pre-hospital emergency care to the community. Um, and there's lots of different things in there, right? From medical calls, um, you know, if people having cardiac arrests, um, chest pain, myocardial infarctions, difficulty breathing, diabetic, uh, seizures, all those medical um, um, emergencies uh, will provide treatment and care and assessment in the home and then transfer to the hospital for ongoing treatment, maybe for, you know, further investigations. Um, we also have tra traumatic uh, calls that we'll provide. You know, you see us on the 401 with accidents and, um, you know, down at the lake and, and, and those types of things. So, so we, we respond to trauma, traumatic calls and transfer to the hospital for continuing care, whether it be surgery um, or, you know, care for fractured limbs, et cetera. Um, we, we also, a big part of it is mental health. Um, you know, we're there to support and to provide um, transfer to, to the appropriate facilities, um, you know, to, to help people in their time of need, whether it be medical, mental health, traumatic. Um, and then one of the other really important components of our, our program um, on the first responder 911 side is we do some bypasses. And, and one part of Survivor Night is um, you know, we will take people to definitive care. For instance, we have a stroke bypass and we have a STEMI bypass. And so when people are having and suffering a myocardial infarction, a heart attack, and they need to go to the catheterization lab to remove that clot, um, that's when you'll see us, you know, go right from Northumberland, uh, from Northumberland County, whether it's Coburg, directly to Peterborough Regional Health Center. And all of these calls and these key messages for Survivor Night was, you know, we were able to bypass some of the, the smaller hospitals and take them directly to a cath lab. Um, and that's been a remarkable um, improvement in care. These people are on the catheterization table, removing that clot within hours, minutes, hours of having that first sign of chest pain. Um, and they're going on to, to live healthy, happy, normal lives. And um, yeah, so, so those are some of the, the important uh, components of our, our, our service. Now, how many people do you employ yeah, so currently we have on staff, um, I'll say kind of fluctuates, um, but we're about 130 right now. And how many calls do you respond to annually? Yeah, so it, it changes year to year, but uh, last year we were um, approximately 23,000 uh, responses to calls in Northumberland County. Matthew, that sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> um, uh, let's. I'd like to turn to you now for a moment and just for everyday people who maybe not appreciate what your day is like. Can you describe your job and what a typical day is like? Well, the typical day could be described, uh, well, getting to work and checking the truck, you know, greeting your partner and just supporting each other, like from the being positive from the start of the shift. And once you get the truck checked, uh, you're basically at the whim of dispatch and they're going to have you out in the truck in the County 
covering either standby locations or responding to the calls whenever needed. And depending on the day, we can range from only a few calls to, you know, more than half a dozen calls in a day. And in addition to that, doing standbys from, I work out of Port Hope base. I could be doing standby, standbys all the way up in Campbellford or Brighton. So we span the region throughout the day. What is it about uh, being a paramedic that attracted you to the job? I don't know uh, about everybody else. My story might be a little different. Uh, when I first went to college to become a paramedic, I was quite lost and didn't know what to do. And I had some people say, well, you seem like the type of person that likes to help people. And uh, there's this uh, course at Fleming College called the paramedic program. And I was like, all right. And I applied and I didn't know how many people had applied initially. And apparently there was a couple thousand and they were accepting 30. And I happened to be one of the lucky people to get in that year and it changed my life. What type of personality do you have to have to be able to respond to emergencies day in and day out, very stressful situations. How, how, what, what characteristics do you have that allow you to do that? Uh, I, I can attest most of the ability to keep doing it for as long as I have was the training. Uh, going to that college program and they teach you at Fleming, they taught us what to expect and like they trained us for the worst of the worst, you know? And then doing the ride outs, I think once you did your ride outs and experienced what it was like, even as a student, but you got to work with some of the paramedics out there, I think you learned pretty quick if this was for you or not. And I found that I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the variety. I enjoyed the unpredictability. I enjoyed the freedom of being able to, you know, drive around in the ambulance and just, you know, through whatever city we were. I worked in Peterborough when I did my ride outs and uh after that getting hired you just i don't know you learn as the career goes as you progress um how to cope with certain things you have the support group of all your coworkers, which you quickly realize that you're all in this together you know so you have that and then fan i have a great support group at home and then i guess just me like you asked about personality I don't know. I've always been someone who wants to make sure everyone around me is doing okay. And I think that translated directly to the, the work I'm doing right now, you know, just being uh, in a supportive role. How long have you been doing this for? Around 18 years. Now, can you tell us a little bit about yourself outside the job? You know, how do you relax from such an incredibly stressful job? Do you have hobbies? What, what do you do when you're not being a paramedic? Uh, for me at home, I have uh, the first thing that comes to mind uh, right now in my life is my two children. I have two little boys. Uh, they're awesome. They're full of energy. They're just crazy, you know, and so they take up a lot of my time. Uh, other than that, it's um, I do mostly sports and stuff like that. I like to snowboard in the winter. I winter camp. Uh, I can't wait to do the snowboarding with the family. Uh, in the summertime, it's all about camping and just being outside and, uh, you know, getting out with the boys and, yeah, being social. I just love being social and, you know, getting together with my friends and family. It's just what keeps me going. I'd, li I'd like to come back to Survivor Night now. And and uh, I want to talk about Michael Tarrington. And Matt, I, maybe you could tell us uh, what happened that day. Okay, uh, on that day that we met Michael, uh, 
I was working with another paramedic named Marcel. She's absolutely wonderful and talented. And uh, we're both advanced care paramedics. So just to explain that a little bit, we have a, a broad skill set, which includes like uh, IVs, um, intubations, uh, a whole bunch of drugs, including advanced life support medications uh, that you can give during cardiac arrests and all that. Uh, we were working together and we got called for somebody who had chest pain. And then we met Michael in his house and he looked very uncomfortable and he'd had chest pain. And I believe he'd felt this before. So we did all the assessments that we were required to do and used the cardiac monitor. And we got to see that his electrocardiogram showed that he was having a heart attack. So we did, uh, we organized the bypass and we went from his house. We were heading to Peterborough Regional so he could get uh, seen at the cath lab. On the way there, uh, he went unconscious and we noticed that his vital signs became absent. I was driving at the time and Marcel was in the back attending and uh, she immediately used the cardiac monitor to defibrillate him and then started CPR and I pulled the ambulance over. I came into the back with her and we both worked together. I did CPR and uh, his situation was quite incredible because we were so quick with the CPR and the defibrillation. Um, I actually talked to Mike about this when I met him at Survivor Night. Uh, his, the oxygen was still getting to his brain, right? So while his heart was not beating, I was doing the CPR, which was getting blood to his brain. So he was semi-conscious and moving and almost like he was awake. He was speaking in between the chest compressions. And it was absolutely incredible uh, to see that and to see the effect of the good CPR he was getting. And we defibrillated him another time and that actually worked and took his and got his heart beating again on its own. So I was able to stop compressions and he wanted to sit up. That's what he was asking. I need to sit up. I need to sit up. He felt very claustrophobic. So when he sat up, he felt much better. And, and that was his uh, cardiac arrest moment. It's not like every, everyone's is not like that. But after that, he was able to continue talking with us on the way to the hospital. I started the ambulance uh, en route to Peterborough again, where we then handed him off to the cath lab and told them the story that I just told you. And, you know, they continued the treatment and fixed his uh, blockage. What was it like to see him again at the Survivor Night? It was really nice, uh, actually, because... You know, I met him before, but it had been a while and I didn't quite recognize him. And then when I, the more I spoke to him, I, I could see like, yes, this is the guy, you know, and uh, he was such a nice man. I, I felt like one thing I kept thinking about is how fortunate I was that uh, the first person I'm meeting in 18 years of my career, he was the first uh, resuscitation that I actually got the opportunity to meet in person. Uh, and it uh, was fantastic that he was a person as kind and as thankful as he was, you know, he was, he couldn't stop thanking us and couldn't stop telling us how much we like the work we did meant to him and, and how he didn't realize in the moment how serious things were and that he actually could have died, you know, if he didn't have the proper care. And he, it took him months before he actually realized that uh, that was, you know, it was uh, the reason why he was alive was because of the care he got and the timing and everything, you know, so he, he was a fantastic person, met his wife as well, and she was wonderful. And yeah, they were just so thankful. And it was such a positive experience for both Marcel and I. Susan, when you hear Michael talk like this, well, how do you respond? Yeah, um, <clears throat> that's what makes that night so, so special. And, you know, 
I'm I'm glad that in 18 years that um, Matt has been in his career that this is the first time um, because it is such a magical time to meet that person again. Um, you develop this connection. It's almost like that, you know, survival story. We've been in this together um, and you really develop a connection. And that's what makes that night so, so special. You know, paramedics go out and we do, you know, lots of calls for 18 years of, you know, Matt. Um, but it's that sometimes that closure we don't see, we don't know about. And it honestly means the world to you. I, I had a smile on my face the whole time Matt was telling the story because uh, it is such a special moment. Susan, could you talk about this notion? You mentioned it earlier, this chain of survival. What is it and why is it significant in this story? Yeah, so as Matt, Matt says, it's it's always the best uh, you know, option ever is to have a, a cardiac event in front of somebody um, because then you get that early recognition when you start treatment. So your brain can go without oxygen for about eight to nine minutes. And then after that, um, you know, you start to have some longstanding uh, effects. So if somebody, um, if you have a witness cardiac arrest and people are trained, it's the chain of survivor for survival through the heart and stroke. So the first one is, you know, early recognition that we see it. We start CPR immediately because what's happening in that moment, their heart's not working. It's not, it's not producing the oxygen to the brain. The blood's not pumping. So getting somebody on there early and starting to do the compressions um, as um, Marcel did and, and as uh, Matthew continued. The other thing is the AED, a defibrillator. So we have a defibrillator that's a little bit more advanced than the AEDs you see in the community, but it doesn't matter if you have an AED in the community, do the defibrillation because that heart isn't is out of the regular rhythm. It needs some electricity to kind of wipe it and get the, the pacemaker of our own heart to start back and getting a producing rhythm for blood and oxygen. Um, then it's, you know, transportation to the hospital, some medications to the cath lab. That's that definitive treatment because they can go in there and clear that blockage. Whatever's causing the oxygen not to go past that point within the, the heart or the vessels, they clear that out and then you're, you're as good as new again. Um, so it's that early recognition, CPR, um, you know, defibrillation as early as we can, transportation to the hospital and then into the cath lab and, and fix what the problem is. Matt, what did it feel like to go up and receive the Lightning Bolt Award? Uh, yeah, this one, it was very nice. Um, you know, it, was, it had that, uh, the satisfaction of, like, especially meeting Mike, that, that made everything, you know. This Lightning Bolt um, was the most important one because I got to meet him, you know, and so that was rewarding. Uh, have you ever received a, a lightning bolt award before? Yeah. Uh, over the course of my career, I've um, received quite a few. The Depending on what uh, specifications uh, different uh, services and regions have for their lightning bolt or their cardiac save awards. I worked in uh, the region of Peel for 12 years before I came to Northumberland. And over there, they had for a while going the program, they would actually send you an email with the update of the patient's condition after they were released from the hospital. Sometimes you would get the patient to the hospital with a heartbeat, but then they wouldn't uh, be released from the hospital, you know, like their complications were too severe. But uh, yeah, this was uh, a very important one. Uh, I have to ask, where did you put it? Uh, you want me to answer? <laughs> yeah, I put it in a, a little bag I have with a whole bunch of them <laughs> and it's in my dresser <laughs> right. 
Susan, there were another 50 awards handed out besides the one that Matt got. Uh, can you tell us a bit about the other recipients and what was given out that night? Yeah, so as I said, it's um, it celebrates all the first responders um, that were involved in the call. And, you know, one of the, I'm going to kind of bring it up, up right, na- right in this conversation because the, it starts with that 911 conversation, right? So somebody's on the phone in that horrible situation, stressful, calling for, for help. Um, if we're picking them, you know, picking them up from home. And I think it's those communications officers, those dispatchers that are trying to get all the information they can from someone who's obviously very stressed in order to send 911, you know, the ambulance, the, you know, if it's tiered response, the firefighters as well. But those communication officers, they don't get closure, right? They never see that person because they're talking on the phone. They they know they're in that oh, that stressful, stressful situation trying to get all the information to get us there to help them. They never get to see that person. And so I think, you know, having them come to uh, Survivor Night is a special occurrence for them because they finally see faces and put names and get the closure they need. Because sometimes horrible call, on to the next call and never know whatever whatever ends up happening with that patient. So um, we we also give them a lightning bolt because they were involved in the, the process. And if there's another first responder, like the fire, if they've tiered, Anyone that's done CPR and has helped out in that successful resuscitation gets a lightning bolt. Um, you know, sometimes police have been on scenes and have, have helped us and do CPR. And, you know, what was really interesting, it wasn't this year, but last year we actually had some people at Survivor Night that it was the family that did CPR. So, again, we we always award them with a certificate for the assistance in that chain of survival we talked about earlier. So, um, yeah, we gave out 51 lightning bolts and it was to anyone who had a hand in that that successful resuscitation. Susan, there are a lot of challenges facing paramedic services. What are the ones that you see uh, facing Northumberland? Yeah, so, you know, we're, we're not unique as to any other, uh, you know, paramedic services. So, um, you know, it's, it's the, our increased call volumes um, and the, the types of call, calls that were, you know, lots of um, uh, elderly patients that are, you know, acutely ill and sick. So our call volume overall is increasing. Um, you know, as we increase, so do the hospitals. So you see us on what's called offload delays at the hospital. Um, so sometimes, you know, we're we're at the hospital trying to hand off a patient to get back out in the community. So there's there's those situations that are happening. Um, you know, financially keeping you know the service running, um, budgets, tax dollars. Um, so there's those challenges. Um, you know, as as everywhere and through COVID, you know, the stress the stress of our paramedics. So. I think one of the, the challenges um, is ensuring that we're keeping our people healthy and safe. Um, and, you know, it's our frontline responders that are out there on the road. And so I think we need to support them um, and ensure that they are healthy themselves because, you know, the old adage is how can we help others if we can't take care of ourselves first? So making sure our paramedics are healthy and safe out there, um, you know, is, is challenging because they, they do see a lot of different things on the road every day. So making sure that they have the support, mental, you know, mental health support, as well as, you know, the physical and, and the equipment and stuff to do the call. And of course, you know, with COVID, um, you know, not only did that increase our calls, it increased our types of calls, but also um, a little bit of our equipment is, is more challenging, as you can imagine, us trying to get, you know, ambulances and, and provide that equipment on the road. Um, so that's a challenge, just resources, whether it's equipment and or paramedics. Um, you know, as um, Matt said, when he applied years ago, there was applications of in the thousands. 
um, and you know, 30, 30 spots. But as we as we retire within our own service, it's replacing replace replacing our paramedics um, and and making sure that we have the complement to do the job that we can in the skills. So resources, uh, both personal resources and equipment resources is a is a new challenge for us as well. We hear a lot about collaboration in government, and I know the paramedic services in Northumberland work with many partners. Can you elaborate on those partnerships and give us an appreciation of why these are significant? Yeah, so uh, I guess the significance is is we're all stronger together than we are in each individual. Um, we're all stronger if we break down the silos and work to what's important, and that's that's the patient, right? It's our patient-centric focus. Um, you know, the collaboration, and again, you know, with when you bring up COVID, it really helped us as a community in Northumberland County to really become one. So, you know, whether it's the Ontario Health Team Network, the OHTN, um, you know, we've we've we sat at the table with them and developed a way of making sure Northumberland is cared for. We're there with, um, you know, the hospitals. We're there with home and community care support services. Um, you know, we're there with um, uh, social services because it all those players play a, a role in our community. As well as, and we always know that we always had strong uh, partnerships and collaborations uh, with all the Northumberland fire departments because we go to accident scenes with them. We go to tiered response with them. Um, you know, we have great working relationships with the three police services that we deal with. We deal with both with OPP, we deal with Coburg Police, and we deal with Port Hope Police. Um, you know, and, and I think, honestly, it's something that's nice in our community being Northumberland. We're small enough that I think we, we all work well together, whether it's the social services and the medical side through the hospitals and the OHGN, or whether it's through... 911 and it's the emergency services, the police, the fire and the, and the paramedics, right? I think that's what's important. Matthew Rowagen, I want to thank you so much. I want to also congratulate you on your uh, award. It was obviously richly deserved. And uh, Chief Susan Brown, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Robert. That was Northumberland County paramedic Matthew Rollwagon and Chief Susan Brown talking about Survivor Night. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.